we're really having to do is say, okay, you've no cultural reference for this. What is your reference point? Let me speak from there in a way that you understand the answers to questions you're asking instead of assuming that you have the same questions I did when I was growing up. Welcome to Where We Belong, a podcast where we dive into questions surrounding what it means to belong to a community of faith, how we do that well, and why it often feels so hard. I'm Lauren from Whitworth's Office of Church Engagement, and I'm excited to walk with you as we puzzle through big questions that a lot of us are asking about the church, about culture, and about our place in the body of Christ. So if you are a church leader, a church skeptic, an all-in church member, or fall somewhere in between, I invite you to join us in these conversations as we wrestle with the truth that, whether we like it or not, we are claimed by the community of faith, and it's where we belong. Welcome to today's episode of Where We Belong. I am so excited to introduce Dr. Tanita Maddox to you. Tanita is a Gen Z expert with experience working in youth ministry with Young Life for the last 20 years. She also has her MA in Christian Leadership from Fuller Theological Seminary and a Doctorate of Ministry from Phoenix Seminary in Gospel Proclamation specifically to Generation Z. She does lots of works around training, workshops for youth staff volunteers to understand the cultural context for Gen Z and how that impacts their biblical understanding and theological framework. You are going to see her intense ability to communicate the realities of Gen Z here. She's brilliant. She's got lots of things to share with us. So I hope you enjoy Tanita on belonging in Gen Z. I am here with Dr. Tanita. Tanita, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me this morning. Yeah, you're great. Well, tell me a little bit about your experience and story when it comes to the church. Well, I got the chance to grow up in the church because a Young Life leader named Pete met my dad when he was in high school. So my dad met the Lord through ministry called Young Life. And then I got to grow up in a Christian home because of that. I um, also saw my friends meet the Lord through Young Life in high school. Mm -hmm. My parents became Young Life leaders again and have really seen that my faith come alive in that form of outreach ministry. So I've always been a part of a local church as well as serving through the ministry of Young Life. Mm, that's great. And that leads kind of led you into what you do now, right? So tell us a little bit about what you do and your specialty and where you're at. Well, I do continue to serve on staff with Young Life. Um, and that really led me on a path to studying the next gen, Generation Z, because I've been in youth ministry for about 24 years and noticed something significantly changed about six years ago. And I yeah. felt it and I didn't know what was going on. And I thought it was me. I thought I was just getting too old to do youth ministry and realize that, no, what had happened is a new generation had showed up. Wow. That's really interesting. And back to your background a little bit. So Young Life sounded like it was the place where a lot of that faith formation happened for you. Kind of that parachurch stuff was attending a church or a body of believers, a part of that as well. I would say becoming um, a young life leader and serving young life really helped me put feet to my faith while the church mm -hmm. really gave me a foundational understanding of scripture and the Trinity and these big theological pieces. And then young life helped me live that out in a very practical, hands-on way, as well as learn how to contextualize it for people who did right. not grow, in the grow up in the church. Right. Totally. And it sounds like you, sounds like you kind of found a home in that Yes, ministry. Absolutely. Well, I think most of our leaders will be familiar with Young Life, but if they aren't, how would you describe it? 
So we're an international uh, nonprofit. So we aren't affiliated with any specific denomination. We're actually ecumenical. So we include a lot, a lot of denominations. And our focus is really on introducing adolescents to Jesus Christ and helping them grow in their faith. Mm, That's lovely. What drew you to Young Life? It sounds like it's always been a part, but then also you chose it as a career. It's so true. there's clearly something compelling about it for you. Well, I get real teary when I talk about it because people still ask me like, I'm, you know, 43. Why are you still working with oh, kids? Yes. And I'll say, look, I get to watch adolescents go from death to life right before my eyes. And that, that just doesn't get old. Wow. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, she's emotional right now. And I'm <laughs> getting emotional too. That's so great. We love it when people are passionate about their jobs. That's, for Kleenex. that's lovely. Oh, that's so great. Well, and I mean, and I think about, I have a lot of conversations with pastors and leaders and people involved in the church in that. I, I don't want to say that passion isn't always there, but I think there's a lot of just like mystery around like, it feels like the how, how do we figure it out? Like yeah. the young people are the enigma. Like we want them to figure <laughs> it out. We just don't know how. And yeah. so the fact that you feel so driven and you've seen that transformation is, is a relief to me. So thank you for sharing your Absolutely. passion with us. Um, so we've been spending this podcast, having a lot of conversations about belonging. What does it mean to belong to the community of faith? Um, Obviously, kind of trend-wise, we're not seeing as much kind of millennial or the younger generation belonging to the church in maybe a traditional way that we would have in years past, right? I'm wondering if you would be willing to start with kind of a broad conversation on what belonging looks like for this generation. Are they, is belonging just in general something that they're looking for? And where are they finding it if they're finding it? This generation is growing up with a very different worldview than any previous generation has had and because their cultural context has been completely different. So they're yeah. growing up in a post-culture, post-Christian culture, which means they don't have cultural references to matters of faith. They also mm. are the most diverse generation we've ever seen. More than half is non-white and their largest generation. And they grew up with technology. So there's lots of things that that all those have contributed to that they're just asking different questions when it comes to the topic of belonging. The first is they are concerned with safety. That's the number one question psychologists yes. have asked have, or said they're asking, am I safe? And that's a difficult one for us to get our head around because it is, uh, it's very broad. It's physical, it's mental, it's emotional, it's spiritual, safety from embarrassment, safety from shame, safety from risk, safety from failure, yes. safety from discomfort. So it's very broad. And then at the same time, it's super individualized. So everyone has a very mm. personal definition of safety which really sets up no one to be able to create a perfect scenario for every every single Gen sure. Zer to walk in and say, oh, I feel safe. But that safety and belonging piece is tied really, really close together. The second piece is that growing up with this very individualized idea of truth and truth is based in your personal freedom. So I could decide what I think is right and wrong, what is moral and immoral, what makes me happy and those kinds of things. And because that's so individualized, then um, you're walking into a, a church or a building that says there's no, 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 this is what truth is. That automatically uh, for uh, them, that that sets up a cultural value for them that it, it rubs up right against of going, well, if you don't agree with my truth and I don't agree with your truth, then you're exclusive and I don't belong here. So they're really, they're rubbing wow. up some big cultural values, generational values that we just not have not seen before. No, totally. Well, and I, I mean, I work with 
younger adults, which kind of around this life stage and definitely that like my truth, right. Is sort of the like, yeah. And, and I think there's something so powerful about that being able to own, like, this is my story. This is what happens to me in, in a way that past generations maybe haven't felt freedom to sort of like own or, but, but you're right when it comes to church or when it comes to truth claims of faith, there's Mm -hmm. some, I'm hearing you say there's some friction there. Absolutely. They have a very complicated relationship with the idea of truth because of their context. Anything that's claimed as being true is now being seen as something that is used to judge, oppress, uh, exclude others. And um, when really we have to help our Gen Z friends understand that real truth, God's truth is good news for all people. It's freedom for all people. But that freedom is also defined in Jesus. So we're having to redefine a lot of these, these things for them. Yeah. Well, and I, we've had conversations before with others on the podcast. Um, John Mark Comer uses this concept that I've kind of latched onto of DIY spirituality, this mm-hmm. idea that if you say, you know, are a person of faith within this age group, maybe he says it's more common and that, that jives with what you're saying too, to sort of come up with, okay, well, I believe this is true. And I believe about this about God. And I believe this about this story of scripture. And I believe that this is it. So you sort of like created this hodgepodge of here's what I believe. Here's what's really important to me. And then the challenge comes exactly what you're saying is then you attend some sort of church or um, not even that you hear any sort of truth claim. And if it doesn't sort of match up with the version of things I've created, then I can't put myself under this, right? Like I've seen in young adults this, and I wonder if you've seen this too, um, this concern of being of like representing something that they don't feel like a hundred percent aligns with them, what they believe to be true, a place that they believe to be safe, all yeah. of those things. Well, and think about this too, that that actual idea is also rubbing against one of their core cultural values for social justness and finding fighting for the dignity of all humans. Because at the very heart of it, if you're fighting for justice, you are fighting for a truth. You are saying something's yeah. right and something is wrong right. and you need to stand up for what's right. While at the same time holding onto this idea that all ideas and and belief systems are valuable and should be upheld, so those are in mm-hmm. constant conflict all the time. And generally, this generation has not been given an anchor point to figure out well what's supposed to take precedent at any given moment. So oh, what sure. we realize is that as as a Gen Xer, that when I talk to our Gen Z friends, I go, well, of course, of course, this is in conflict for you because. We have not modeled how to disagree with one another and treat each other with love and respect at the same time. Mm. So, of course, then you would feel like truth is um, destructive because we haven't shown you how to do it well. Mm. Yikes. Yikes. Yikes face. <laughs> Tell me more about the safety piece, too. So you, I hear you say the sense of personal safety that's very individual is really important for these young people to feel any sense of belonging, what would that, obviously it changed from person to person, but what might you say would sort of qualify as a safe space for a lot of these folks? Well, I'll say this, that a lot of the conversation in youth ministry in the last couple of years has moved away from the safety conversation and toward a resilient conversation because of there's been an un, some unintended consequences with upholding safety as such a high value. Okay. One of which is we have essentially told an entire generation that they will not be okay. 
Like they are, do not, they're not, they don't have enough grit. They don't have enough wisdom. They don't, they're not strong enough to be able to move through hard mm. things. So they should prevent themselves from ever experiencing it by being safe at all times. Just insulate. Just, yes. And I've talked to, I've heard this from eighth grade all the way through college, that that message of be safe all the time has really felt like they're not trustworthy of, of uh, our, like us putting trust in them that they can navigate these things. At the same time, what I try to do in providing a place where um, kids can feel like they're safe is by acknowledging, hey, this is going to be a place where we're going to talk about things that you're going to disagree with. And yeah. we're going to talk about things that might um, make you a little uncomfortable or yeah. wonder if you can have questions or doubts or all those things. And this is a place where we can have those conversations and still treat each other with love and respect. Mm. So uh, while I cannot uh, be, I can't provide safety for every single kid in every single way they want to, I can provide at least physical safety to the yes, best of my can. ability. Yes. And some um, like intellectual safety and emotional safety by saying, no, I can't protect you from all the discomfort you might feel in this room, but mm. let's acknowledge that it's going to be there. And are you willing to have the conversation? I love that. Let me see if I understand you correctly. It sounds like you're almost not like redefining what they mean by safety, but saying like, like framing the space in the conversation feels really important. Like here's going to be the values we uphold in this space. We're going to be respectful. We're going to model, you know, whatever, whatever. But I hear you say that the safety that you can provide doesn't necessarily mean a safety in which nothing will be challenged, absolutely. right? Or like, you're going to never feel uncomfortable. Right. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's impossible to offer all of those things. It is. Well, and especially when we're being the hands and feet of Christ, right? I mean, a lot of that, Jesus says offensive things sometimes that are hard to swallow. So yeah, and the reality is Barna, Pew Research, as well as other researchers that are not faith-based have uncovered that this next gen is looking at believers as Christ followers of those part of the faith community as judgmental, irrelevant, um, intolerant. Um, and so part of it is, oh, and hypocritical. Part of it's just being able to say, oh yeah, I actually am those things. I am those things. That's why I need Jesus. So uh, I'm not, let me not pretend that I'm oh, going to be this sure. perfect, safe person for you. I'm not. That's why I need Jesus. But if I can acknowledge that out loud, at least it helps our friends go, Okay, so you're not at least hiding anything. Yeah, you're not pretending like you're about to do totally. No, I think that's so wise. So again, I'm asking you to make huge generalizations, and this is your whole field of work. So I apologize for making you really break it down. Where would you say uh you're seeing maybe these these younger people, members of Gen Z, finding true belonging? Would you say they they are? And if they are, what do those spaces look like for them? That's a very complicated question for this generation because they are growing up in a time where we have cancel culture at the same time. Yes. So there's an incredible amount of fear that exists underneath the surface. If you really push into some of our Gen Z friends, they'll say that they just feel like there's no room for error in their world. If they say the wrong thing, if they ask the wrong question, they'll just be annihilated and annihilated publicly. Mm -hmm. So I. I am really hesitant to say there's one place I go, man, these, these kids feel like they belong mm. in this place. It's going to be very, very, very small groups in very, very niche places because of uh, 
the personalized safety, the amount of fear that exists in the mm. world right now. So it's just too complicated for them. Wow. So maybe if they feel like they belong somewhere, maybe it's a little tenuous. I'm just thinking about, tell me what you think about this. Like a lot of the cautions that I work with seem to find a true sense of belonging in like political party affiliation mm -hmm. or something, right? Like I really care about this social cause and I'm, this is where I am and I'm passionate about it. And I'm posting things on social media about this, this, and this, but I sense in them too, a, a fear of like not keeping up on that or saying something wrong around that or not saying enough or, uh, so maybe, I, I mean, I think I'm agreeing with what you're saying and I'd love to hear your perspective on that. I'm seeing that sort of like, yet this feels like it's truly me and where I belong, but there's still a sense of like, yeah, I could mess it up. They, yes, because media moves very quickly. Social media moves very quickly. And the way that they've grown up with this, and, and they're referred to as digital natives because that is their first yeah. language is the digital space. Um, they, they're watching that move very, very quickly. You have to stay on top of it. And so it's always in flux. And the other part of it is that most of these communities are very one dimensional. So yeah. a political world is one dimensional world. Uh, there's, you know, the sneaker world, which is huge with this gen is a one dimensional world. So there's a lot of little pieces of it. And that still does provide safety because you never have to put your full uh, self sure. out there in any place. Sure. Hmm. So help me understand. So some trends or characteristics that work against their sense of belonging. Some of that is, is fear of being canceled or saying the wrong thing. Absolutely. What would be some of those other things that keep? I mean, social belonging? media is huge, right? I, I sat with, uh, you know, 300 high school students each week and said, hey, tell me about social media this summer. And they, it's overall negative. It sucks. It makes me feel like wow. I'm um, comparing myself to everybody. It's toxic. It's fake. Um, it puts the, a wrong message out of who you're supposed to be. Not a single positive thing comes out of their mouth. But wow. they, and I said, what do you think people your age are looking for? And they use big words, identity, affirmation, yeah. security, uh, friendships, relationships. And do you think they're finding it there? They say no. And so they understand that they're kind of in this place where they're, they exist in a system where they're looking for these deep belonging factors. And it's not meeting their needs, but they don't have another alternative in their world. So they keep going back to that place. Yeah. So those messages they're getting in social media is massively huge working against that feeling of I belong someplace, but I have to be in this place at the same time. Yikes. But the, yeah, they're not going to leave. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, let's start integrating the church into this conversation. Absolutely. Some of the work that you do. I think I already know the answer to this, but our... Would you say in general, Gen Z students, are they finding a sense of belonging in the church? Are they engaging when it comes to church? If so, how? So this is, remember, this is a big generalizations. Every time we talk about a generation, <laughs> it's right? It's my fault. I'm it's asking you over generalizing. So there's going to be nuances and exceptions to every rule. But overall, what the research is saying is that this generation is leaving the church yeah. in huge numbers. Yeah. Yeah. What does that look like for a ministry like Young Life? This is, I imagine, sort of where Young Life really wants to like pull in and, Absolutely. and be meeting that need. Yeah. Well, I like to tell people, you know, we're not Peter at Pentecost, we're Paul in Athens. Meaning Peter was talking to a faith community yeah. and telling them, hey, you've been waiting for this, this Messiah. Here he is. And so mm. this huge movement. And, so, and a lot of that early ministry of the apostles is to the Jewish community. When Paul shows up to Athens, 
there is no reference to the Israelite God. There's no understanding of the scriptures or prophecies that came before. They exist in their own system completely apart from that. And Paul has to change how he speaks on every level in order to make contact with this group. So he looks at their mm. culture. He looks at their world. He looks at the questions they're asking. He knows their poets. He knows their philosophy, speaks their language and shares through their lens versus the Jewish lens that had been shared through previous to that. And so that's what I feel like we're really having to do is say, okay, you've no cultural reference for this. What is your reference point? Let me speak from there in a way that you understand the answers to questions you're asking instead of assuming that you have the same questions I did when I was growing up. Yes, which a ministry like Young Life is trying to do. Absolutely. Is yeah. that like, how do, how do we contextualize is maybe another way of saying what you're saying. Like, mm-hmm. how are we meeting you where you're at when I imagine a lot of, you know, those existing structures of, of church or maybe other ministries either aren't able to or can't go fully back to the beginning or won't go back to the beginning and sort of recontextualize all of that for it's them. A, it's a hard work. It's a it very is. hard work. It is. Are there other ministries or areas that you think are meeting this need for young adults are able to do this contextualizing work? It's still a fairly new, I would say, area of study. And so we're probably in the near beginning conversation. Fuller Youth Institute does a wonderful, wonderful job mm-hmm. in talking about how to contextualize faith for kids as well. Uh, Dr. Sean McDowell does really good work in apologetics for Gen Z. But mm-hmm. for the most, we're we're still trying to figure this out. Every time I get up and talk with kids um, in a club setting where I'm sharing a gospel message, it's always an experiment because we just haven't done this enough to know how to be experts wow. at it. Yeah. What are, I mean, if you don't mind, when you are getting up there thinking about contextualizing the gospel, speaking to kids, like what are the things that you think about? There's a few things. One is I inter- I it Okay. So there's two things, two ways I can go about this. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We'll do, we'll do demo. (laughs) Good. Give me all the things. One thing I do is I invite crowd participation to be a part of the conversation. So I'm not talking to them. I'm talking with them because research Uh shows that they need to be part of their convert of the conversation. So I'll typically get up and ask a question and uh, they would probably call it a pretty gutsy question. So, you know, the first thing I did this summer, first night of camp, I don't know these kids, they don't know me. And I say, hey, what kind of questions are people your age asking about God? And then open the floor so that they, they know they have permission to actually talk about real things. Yeah. And I do that throughout the week so that they feel like they're participating, their voices heard, they're being listened to by an adult of another generation, which is very rare for them. Yes. And that's been really huge for allowing them to own the conversation alongside means that another older generation person just talking to them yeah. about what they should believe and yeah. what they should think is true. The other thing I do is my area of research, it really identified six key questions that kids are asking about life based on their values and their worldview. And I look at how can I answer those questions through the gospel? Mm, that's great. I would listen to your messages anytime. <laughs> What would you say in terms of, I mean, I'm just thinking about our listeners, a lot of whom are ministry leaders, either in kind of more traditional church spaces or parachurch spaces who care a lot about engaging this generation and maybe don't know how for a ministry, let's just kind of say specifically church for a ministry that's not like Young Life. 
what, what do you think needs to change or what would your advice be to those people as they try to think about contextualizing and bringing in this younger generation or maybe not even bringing in, but just meeting them where they are? Yeah, there's actually not a lot of difference between a Gen Zer who uh, is a Christ follower and one who's not mm. a Christ follower as far, as far as their worldview and value systems going. And there's a lot of research that will show that, that they're not um, as based in what we traditionally call a biblical worldview as other generations are, yes. or that non-believing friends are. So I'd say the first thing we have to do is listen. Uh, mm. This generation really, really does want to talk to older adults about everything. About 73% will say, I want to talk to an older adult about what's going on. Wow. But at the same time, this comes from Barna, 71% say they feel like it'll be worse if they do because the older generation doesn't understand them. So we have a whole generation. Uh, there's a fear around three quarters. It. Yeah. Can you imagine growing up and going, I really want to talk to you, but I'm afraid if I do, it'll be worse. No wonder we have yeah. loneliness and anxiety. Of course we do. They, they're terrified to talk to the people they actually want to talk to. So mm. I just open the door. There's a couple of questions that are just really easy to ask. I mean, one is ask your younger gen, like, what are they hearing about themselves from older generations and from the media? What oh, are they hearing sure. about themselves sure. from older generations in the media? Do you want to take a guess? Uh, no, tell me. <laughs> I'm too afraid. <laughs> too fr fragile. Weak, not resilient, right? Not resilient. Yeah. Uh, entitled, over-emotional. Mm. They're, it's overwhelmingly negative. Yeah. And I think when we get, we let them voice that to us, we can start to project a different message onto them. As I mm. tell people, you cannot speak words over a generation and then be surprised when they live into those words. Yeah. That's one. The second is just asking, what do you wish someone like me understood about what it's like to be your age? And then let them talk. We don't get defensive. We don't, yeah. you know, explain things away. We just listen. And those two things, those two questions specifically, will allow for us to learn so much more about our friends that yes. helps us understand how we can meet them where they're at. Well, I think you're getting at something important. I'm actually thinking about a conversation I had on the podcast a few weeks ago with um, a Whitworth student. And one of the things she was kind of lamenting about the church was there's just not space to have vulnerable conversations. It feels like I attend this gathering and I'm doing things and then I go home afterwards. There's not space for sharing of experience yeah. or asking those types of questions. And what I hear you say is really aligning with her perspective mm. is could the church even facilitate spaces where these conversations are happening? Are they only going to happen in one-on-one -on -one relationships with someone in the community and a younger adult? Or are there ways that the structure itself can break open and prioritize having space? Absolutely. Like this? Yeah. Like the, one of the questions we should be asking. Yeah. I mean, you could do it in a formal way, right? Like have yeah. an evening with our next gen where yeah. we will listen to them or informally, like you said, give some space at, at these different events where we're listening to our, our kids and our young professionals now talk to us. Yeah. When I imagine, I mean, I'm just thinking of the trends you talked about a lot earlier of sort of like being able to, maybe this is a bad connection, but own sort of what's true for you. Mm -hmm. What's underneath that is I want my voice to be heard and I want my experiences to be validated. Absolutely. And so if the church, the more the church can provide spaces 
for that, the more I would imagine they would find some sense of maybe maybe I belong, I could belong to right. this community. Well, one of the major questions that's lying underneath the surface for this gen is, is a question of value or self-worth hmm. because they've grown up in a time where we have quantified someone's value in the number of followers, comments, likes, sure. things like that. How valuable are you to the society and your social media world? And we have also normalized very elite performance in social media. So you you can have your social media mm. just full of high performing people your own age, which leaves them always questioning, like, if, am I valuable? What's my self-worth? The way I would phrase it is they're asking, you know, am I enough? Am I enough for you to love me and to value me and see me for yeah. who I am? And so when we offer those spaces... What we're really saying to them is you are absolutely enough as you are to be loved and valued. Mm, that's lovely. I have a follow-up question to ask, and I want to make sure I word it the right way. We've talked about <laughs> me asking this question before. So you've given a lot of, there are a lot of things that this sounds like the church can do in terms of thinking about extending true belonging and space and um, maybe validation isn't quite the right word, but um, just yeah, a, a space to belong to these young people. How much should we expect the church to accommodate to the next generation? And when I ask this, it's not from a point of, oh, like we have to restructure everything that's annoying. <laughs> but I just think about a lot of the church leaders that I talk to who recognize this huge cultural gap and just feel sort of exhausted at the, okay, how do I contextualize? How do I also keep the gospel central? How do I also honor the different generations here? Right. So I'm just curious if you could kind of speak to what the church can do, what the church should do. Are you understanding? Yeah, my, totally, I'm going to stop yes. asking that question now. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I'll share a little bit and I'll share a couple of resources with you because one thing is, I think the early church actually does really help with this. And especially if you're in the New Testament looking at Acts, of going, they went from just ministering to Israel, to Gentiles. And that made that meant a yes. very big shift for a lot of people. And that caused conflict within the early church, right? Like oh, Peter and Paul example. go at it because Peter was still a part of these Jewish mm. uh, traditions that he was making people be a part of in order to be a part of the church. So it was a huge shift for them. And I think we can look at them as an example or uh, kind of guiding the path of going, wait, this is what my faith looked like. And now you want this whole group that doesn't think the same way to come in. And they're coming from yeah. a different worldview and a different culture. Like, how do we do this? And so that provides a really, really great place to look at that. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> a couple books, Kara Powell's a book called Growing Young, which addresses mm. this more specifically of how do we help our church grow younger and meet the next gen, as well as Sean McDowell talking, has a book called So the Next Generation Will Know. Both of them would say it's a massive shift for older yeah. generations to almost start thinking like missionaries and going, how, what's, how do I impact the next generation instead of church just being for me, which again, is a, is a generational value and a shift for our older generations. Right. The third thing that it sounds simple, but it's actually much more, it's much more difficult than it sounds is we just have to explain everything. Why do we sing this hymn? Why is it important? Why it should, uh, why does it matter? Yeah. You know, so our, our next gen is not making the connection between how does knowing this 
change my everyday life? Mm-hmm. How does it change how I live today? They don't see a positive difference between believers and non-believers. And so we have to explain why yeah. these things actually matter. So when I sing a hymn and I explain to my friends, I'm going to get weepy with this too. When I go, this, these are the words that are being sung around the world in different yeah. languages, not just now, but for however old that hymn is, it'd be 200 years, 400 years. Yeah. And when I sing that, I am joining together with my brothers and sisters and Christ in history and globally. And for me, that is belonging. I belong to this community. Otherwise, it's just a really old song with words they don't understand that have no idea why you're singing that. Oh, that's such a good example. Oh, I love that. When especially when I I mean, I hear young people too, like a frustration with the church is like, oh, we just do it this way because we've always done it. Right. And, right. and in some cases, I think you're right. There's a reason why we've always done it or why we've always sung those mm-hmm. hymns. But if you don't do some of that translation, then it just becomes the thing we've done because we've always done it. Absolutely. And that's the only reason. Yeah. Why. They need those dots connected. Yes. So even something as simple as I've been processing this going, how do I explain how to forgive someone to my Gen yeah. Z friends? Like, what are the practical steps? Yeah. How do I make this concrete? And it's a much more difficult task then it sounds like. Yes. Well, and I'm thinking too, I, I, I love everything you're saying about learning how to contextualize this younger generation too. And my question about how much do we accommodate? It just strikes me that a lot of these things you're saying for Gen Z are not only helpful for Gen Z. You know what I mean? Like, yes, maybe you're thinking specifically about them and some of the cultural trends or challenges they're facing when you're doing this. But I think of adults in the church too, who are just going because they've always gone or whatever, or like people who have left the church who maybe have kids and then they start to come back because they think it's important. Like, I, I guess I feel encouraged by a lot of what you're saying in that, that the call isn't necessarily for the church to like scratch everything and redo it with Gen Z in mind. It's like, this is a very helpful way that we need to be thinking about addressing this next generation. And as we're doing that, we're going to be thinking about contextualizing the gospel for a variety of age groups, challenges that are going to translate across different age groups as well. Yeah. It's been really beautiful for me personally, my own faith journey to think about how do I explain and talk about these things? Cause I have to go back to the beginning and go, okay, I've got to figure out how to explain this idea of sin to a generation that doesn't believe in it. And so then I go study and study and study and study. I get this much broader picture. I get a global picture. I get a historical picture, mm-hmm. which has been so helpful for me. And then I've got to narrow it down to this sliver that I can explain in like 12 minutes yes. to a 14 year old. Yes. But yeah, even, I mean, I think we do so, even with our adults, we do so much assuming that like everybody knows what sin is. Right. When like in reality, people come to the church maybe with an antiquated version of sin yeah. from like what their parents told them or like sin is like, oh, it's only doing terrible actions. It's just or, bad. Exactly. Yeah. So like we're doing everyone a favor by, anyway, I'm going to stop. I, I'm very inspired by what you're saying. Um, another question I have for you is what advice might you give either somebody who might locate themselves in Gen Z or these younger generations who are really struggling to find a place of belonging, especially in a faith community. What advice might you have for them? Well, one of the hard parts this Jen has grown up with, and I think culturally moved in this way too, is that we have put our belonging in other people's hands. It's an external thing. Do you make me feel like I belong here? Does your organization make me feel like I belong here? Yeah. 
And when we give up that power, we give up that control, we really are allowing our own value to be placed in other people's hands. They tell us whether or not we belong. Instead of saying, no, I do belong. I Mm -hmm. absolutely belong. I'm creating the image of God. I belong. I want to know more about God. I belong here. So when you decide, when you walk in the doors and go, you can't make me not belong because I know I belong here. That actually puts your faith in Jesus. That puts your faith in God. That puts your faith in the Holy Spirit because you're now listening to them tell you your identity, your value, that you are enough. So no one else can take that away from you, no matter where you walk Mm. into. Maybe they're not catered to how you like to learn, the environment you prefer to be in, and those kinds of things. But they can't remove your sense of belonging if you already decide that in Jesus, I belong already. So I would say we have to help our friends go, do not let anyone else take your sense of belonging away. Yes. That is not theirs to take away. Yes. It is God's. And God says you belong to me. You belong to God. Mm-hmm. Well, that's lovely. Thank you. It's easier said than done. Can I just say that? It is. Because it's, yeah, if you walk into those spaces, that's challenged. And I think it's it's easy to believe that we don't belong because the thing that we want most of all so, I mean, at least for myself, it's easy to be like, I don't belong here, or, even though I'm like, I know Jesus says I do, you know, that's <laughs> yes. hard. It's hard. To, um, yeah. Yeah. A last question I have for you. What's an experience you've had where the church felt like it was where you belonged? There's two different churches, right? We talk little C, local yeah. church and the big C. So the little C church, I've never super felt at home at, Mm -hmm. it's not the place I go, man, I, I'm at rest here. I'm at peace here. This Mm -hmm. is where I feel most like myself, but I had a really great pastor uh, years ago who said, well, of course you don't feel like that Tanita. Like you love the mission field. So I, I work in young life, right? My field is unchurched and disinterested teenagers. And he said, you will always feel most at home there because that's where you come alive. Missionaries Mm -hmm. come home because it's good for them because it's good for the rest of the body of the church to know what's happening because, but it's not the place you will ever come alive. And that for me was so, Mm. so helpful to go, Oh, missionaries come to church. They come home because it's good for them, but that's not where they feel most alive. They feel most alive in the field. So I do feel Mm. like that relationship with my local church here where I go, I serve in the field and I come to this church because it's good for me and it's good for the body. The Mm. second thing, the big C church it's honestly reading church history and as dorky as it sounds, it's reading about these believers from different parts of the world all throughout history that make me feel like I belong to this larger church. Um, They're trying to figure fantastic. it out in their time, in their yeah. context, imperfectly yeah. <laughs> making mistakes, discovering things that are good news to people. And I belong to this ragamuffin, ragtag group of people oh, who are trying that. to follow Jesus the best they can in their time it. here. Oh, thanks for sharing that. It has been surprising to me in all these different conversations I've been having with people about belonging and yeah. about the community of faith, just how much belonging to like, like laterally and longitudinally, I'm thinking about it visually, like the worldwide church and also like the church throughout history, like mm. how important that has been for their sense of belonging. And you talked about it when you talked about hymns too. And yeah. when we talk about Gen Z and isolation, you know, that that's a key piece. Absolutely. It sounds like, and it's been in your life too. So, well, thank you for sharing. I feel like I could talk to you for forever. I imagine we have listeners who would like to 
hear you talk for forever. So where might they find you if they wanted to know more about your work or be in contact with you? I know you offer different ways of um, uh, accessing some of your training. Where might they find you? So I have a website. It's just my name, tanitamaddox.com. And there are some other uh, resources on there as well as a link to a book that I wrote. And you can also just schedule a little Zoom call with me through that that website. Lovely. Well, thank you, Tanina. It's been a joy to talk to you. You're awesome. Thank you for the great ministry you're doing and for inspiring us a little bit more today. This thank was you. fun. Thank you. I am struck in this conversation by the connection between cultivating a sense of belonging and offering space. I hope you sense the invitation in the questions that Tanita suggested. If you are a ministry leader, maybe the next step is seeking out a conversation with a younger person or a group of younger people and asking the question, what do you hear people, specifically us, saying about you and your generation? If you are a younger adult looking for belonging Maybe for you, the invitation is to prioritize a conversation with someone older, maybe an older person of faith, bringing up stereotypes of generations. You could even ask the same question. What do you hear us, my generation, the younger generation saying about you? You might hear responses that surprise you, that open up great conversation. This oneness of the body that Paul talks about that we've been meditating on this season isn't just limited to one age group or one set of cultural norms, but this is where things get really hard. How can we translate things to one another? How can we speak to one another and truly hear one another across all of the differences? When the gaps feel too huge to cross, remember, as Tanita invited, your own belonging. You belong to God, and no one can take this from you. Hear these words from Galatians 2.20 as a blessing. You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And the life you live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Thanks for joining us. If you are new to our podcast, welcome. We invite you to be a part of the conversation by following us at OCE Whitworth on Instagram, or you can always find us on our website, whitworth.edu slash OCE. And as always, we appreciate a like, a follow, a subscribe, tell your friends if you enjoyed this conversation and let us know what you thought. We hope to keep the conversation going as we continue next week to dive into where it is we truly belong. See you next time.